Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Despite everything we're going through, victory truly belongs to Jesus. That no matter what our present circumstances look like, how they feel in the end, victory has already been won. And we can look to that glorious day when all of our tears that feel so burdensome right now, that they won't be wasted. That restoration is coming. That victory has been already won and victory is coming. So as we prepare our hearts and our minds to turn to the word, to hear about this one who offers this true victory, I pray that our time here, we will leave overwhelmed with the joy of this victory that's already been won on our behalf. Despite our circumstances, despite our situations, we may leave this place rejoicing, going everywhere, looking ahead, because we have such a great hope. Amen. You can have your seat. You can have your seat. I just want to say, guys, y'all killed this this evening. I was like, man, every time I was like, God. The Lord has gifted this house with such great talent and such great gifts. And it's good to have Brother Wayne back on the keys this evening. Yes. Uh, Wayne has had a really busy day. He led worship at both of Riverside services this morning. And he came this evening and he led us. And it's just, man, brother, you are a gift. You are truly a gift. And I thank you for the word you preached last week. Uh, I, coming back up, I'm like, man, I, I feel like I got to get back in the saddle. But he, he knows, raised the bar a little high on me. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jarian Wilson, but everybody calls me Jay Will. I have the privilege and benefit of pastoring this young church plant. And I'm so excited to be back with you this evening as we continue our time in the book of Acts in our sermon series, Be the Church. And today we'll be picking up in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, we'll read the whole whole book, the whole chapter in its entirety. And then we will turn to the Lord. And um, when when we go to pray, can y'all pray for me, with me and for me? Uh, All week I've been really excited about this. And then in the last 24 hours, I'm like, man, I have no idea how this is going to go. And like, all of a sudden I got real insecure and I was like, "Woo, okay. So uh, y'all pray for me, but uh, let's read the chapter. Um, Acts chapter three, verses one through 26. And it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the first, for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. 
he was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg for those from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran towards them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. Uh, when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we've made him, made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life. Whom God raised from the dead, we are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So, that, so the faith that comes through Jesus has given him the perfect health in front of all of you. And now, sisters and brother, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore. Repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. That seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus, whom he appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up you, raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you, and everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, those after him have foretold those day, these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, all the, and all the families of earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him. Father, as we sang earlier, victory belongs to you. 
that we can look towards you because you have given us a present hope. You've given us something to look forward to. You have given us a true joy. Father, I pray today as I stand before your people and declare your words that you would embolden me, that you would speak through me, that I may decrease and you may increase, that your word comes clearly across and that all of us, like this lame man walking for the first day, will leap with joy, would walk with joy because you are the God of restoration. God, I am unable to Speak this word without your strength, without your power. It is meaningless words on the paper if your spirit does not move. So I pray that you refresh me, you anoint me refresh today, Father. That your spirit have free reign. That I get out the way and you unleash the power of you. That you show us to look to you, not to signs, not to wonders, but to you. And that our hearts are steered back to you. So, Lord, we lift all these things up to you. It's in your magnificent name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, growing up, um, I actually wanted to be before a preacher, um, and for those who may have known, I used to be a Christian rapper. Before all these things, I actually wanted to be a mechanic. So, uh, believe it or not, and as a high school kid, my dream car was a 1970 Dodge Charger, the one with the big block that stood out, the, out, the, out of the hood. And if you don't know what that looks like, if you ever seen the movie Fast and the Furious, the car that Xavier was driving, the big black car, the 1970 Dodge Charger was with a big black, uh, a big blown, uh, a blown big block sitting out the hood. See, I had this affinity for seeing old cars restored, especially muscle cars. I just wanted to be the guy who had this glorious muscle car that was hard to find. But see, here's the thing. Uh, I was not going to be able to buy one of those brand new. For one, to buy one a 1970 uh, Dodge Charger in this day and age is actually a couple, about tens of, maybe about thirty to 40000 to buy it already in the condition I wanted it. No, I would have to actually go and find a junk car. I would have to go to uh, uh, the dump and find this beat up, broken car and restore it to the state that I want to see it in. And here's the thing about restoring cars. Uh, it's time consuming. It's hard. It hurts. Uh, Robert, we always joke. He said he's a makeshift mechanic. He knows you're going to bust your hands. You're going to get mad. Sometimes you might curse at it. You're just going to get upset because the car isn't doing what you want it to do. And then restoring a car is even more difficult because you got rust and all the dents and everything you got to take out of it. It's, it's a headache. It's aggravating. And for those who don't see the value in it, it looks useless. But for the mechanic who is restoring it back to the state, he's not looking at the present tense of the present state of it. He's thinking about what it's going to look like when it's done. What it's going to look like when it's fully restored, the glory that will be on it in its restored state. 
Today, we find a man who, like this car, is beaten, broken, and been laid at this temple for the past 40 years, and everybody looks down their eyes. They kind of just pass over him. Uh, he has no power. He has no strength. He's, uh, he has no military uh, value because he can't go fight. He's a paralytic, or as the Bible calls him, a lame, a man who lays there all day long. And we find him, what I found interesting as I was reading the text all week, laying at the temple gate. The reason I found this interesting is because the reason he was going to the temple was not to hear about a good and glorious God. No, he was going to get a handout. Because in his mind, that's all the temple had to offer. And we're going to find uh, three major characters in this. We have Peter and John, those who have been transformed because they know the truth of the gospel and they're on their way to the temple also. But as they go to the temple, every time they hear the rabbis teaching there, they know what that points to. It's like, oh yeah, they're talking about Jesus right there. This prophet is talking about Jesus. This Old Testament the covenant is talking about Jesus. So we have those who have already received the truth We have this man who sees the temple as nothing as a place but handouts. And then we see a crowd of people who just go there. And obviously, they haven't seen the true reality of transformation either. They are going to hear stories, but it doesn't seem that they understand what those stories are pointing to just yet. So as we dive in, we start off in verses 1 through 4. It says, now Peter and John were going to the temple for the time of prayer at, the, at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame was, from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful said that, so that he could beg, beg from those entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. Uh, I want to pause right here. Like I said, this man has been coming to this temple for 40 years. And he's not expecting anything but a quick handout. In this day and age, we have a lot of people who actually come to the church just like this man, only looking for a handout. They know there's good people there, and they know that we believe good things, but they only see the things we believe as a quick means to take care of them. It's called benevolence. Um, And I wanted to kind of take a moment to kind of talk about our own benevolence policy, because as we were wrestling with how to create this benevolence policy, um, we wanted people that came to the church, to came, that come to City of Refuge, not to see it as a place of handouts, but we were looking to see how can we help them restore. We, we, we actually bring this in the fa- in, into view of saying our, one of our core values is gracious justice or restorative justice. And the way we explain gracious justice or restorative justice is we don't want to just help them in their present moment, even though we do want to take care of their present need because it's a real need. But we're looking down the line of what the Lord say they could be. How do we see homeless people go from being homeless and begging to homeless uh, to, to now they're able to hold a job and they're thriving and they're living in community? able to actually bring something back, being contributors instead of beggars. 
How do we see single mothers or women who've been abused go from uh, taking the blunt and just kind of going with it to they're actually in a place where they're able to take care of them and their children? It's like, what does restorative justice look like? Well, it looks like Peter is about to explain to this lame man where restoration is truly found. And, that, and I want to give you a heads up. It's in relationship. It's, it's simply found in relationship. But going on, John and Peter both looked at the man and they said, look at us. The reason they said, look at us, because they wanted the man to see that they were just normal, everyday people. Their dress and their demeanor demonstrated they were not very wealthy. Yet the man who's been coming to this temple, he looks straight at them and he's expecting something from them. But Peter says, I have something better. He says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. See, Peter signifies that something, he has something greater than silver and gold. He has a true treasure that really will change everything about this man's life. It kind of points me back to the parable that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 13, when he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and buried and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that feel. This is the treasure that Jesus has given Peter and John. And church, this is the same treasure that we have. We have something that's greater than money can buy and is worth giving up everything for. And John and Peter did not just tell him, get up and walk, but look what they did. (laughs) The next thing they did, they're taking him by his right hand and raised him up. At once, his feet and ankle became strong. They didn't just say, get up and walk and back up. No, they actually reached in, saw this man in his present state and said, let me tell you about this God who restores all things. Get up, walk with us as I tell you about this great king. This is a signal for church. This is what we're supposed to do. Now, this is a miracle taking place because we see a man who never walked jump up. And and I I told y'all earlier when we first started this book, there are miracles in this book. But the miracle wasn't the main focus. The miracle wasn't the point of this text. Look what Peter says. In the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. I'm reminded of the time when Jesus was sitting in the house and he was preaching and the house was so full that these men were trying to take this paralytic man sitting in the house and they couldn't get to him. So they ripped the roof off of the house. And Jesus, he said, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees upset saying, how dare you say that? He said, what's harder for me? To forgive a man's sins or to heal this man who's paralytic. Right now, they're saying the one who heals also forgives. He's the one who brings true restoration. He's the one who builds and brings true restoration. This passage is not about the miracle in itself, but the one who's restoring all things. 
And I, I, I even have stronger indications of why this passage is more about the restorer versus the work of the miracle because the author did something very interesting here. In verse 8, it says, So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. This word for jumped up and this word for leaping these two words are very unique verbs because jumped up only appears one time in the whole New Testament. It's a Greek word that says exoglamia. I might have messed that up, but it's exoglamia. And then when it says leaping, it's another word that only appears three times in the New Testament. It's halamia. The one time that exoglamia shows up in the New Testament is right here. But the three times that Halimim stands shows up in the New Testament is in John chapter 4 when Jesus meets the woman at the well and he talks about the spring of life that will spring up. It will leap up. It will come up. He was talking about the one who gives this life. And then the second place it shows up is right here in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 8, when it says he came leaping. And the third place it shows up is also in Acts in Acts chapter 14, when it talks about another man being healed from his lameness, and he's come leaping. And the reason that's so important, because the writer was actually trying to point us back to something taking place in the Old Testament. He was trying to point us back to a prophecy in the Old Testament found in Isaiah. We read part of it this morning for our call to worship in Isaiah chapter 35. But the part I stopped at because I wanted to read this for you. In Isaiah chapter 35 verse 6 it says, Then the lame will leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, for water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This whole passage is about restoration, taking something that was one way and restoring it to the way that it's supposed to be in the kingdom of God. Right now, Luke is writing and saying this man has been restored to the state that he was created for. He went from never being able to walk to all of a sudden he's jumping like Shaq. <laughs> he's leaping in joy. And the best illustration I have for it is a child who takes their first steps. I remember the day I was sitting at uh, my mother's house when Zion took his first steps over, God, nine and a half years ago. I don't remember how old a boy is, but nine and a half years ago, <laughs> he was nine months old and he had been scooting around. But for some reason this day, it's like it clicked. And he stood up and he started walking and you saw this joy exude off of him because he knew he was created to walk. He was created to be able to move this way. And that's the same type of joy that's coming from this man. He knew what he was created to be able to do. But this is the first time he's ever been able to do it because he has been introduced to the one who restores all things. Christian, do you understand that's the one we have? That we have the one who has created us for a purpose to glorify him here on earth. And the same joy that that man, should ha that man had that day is the same joy we should have every day. 
despite our circumstances, despite our moments of brokenness, despite when things are going wrong, he's saying, you know restoration is coming. You know this joy is coming. The fullness of what he created is coming. This is a promise that's been made to you. But sadly, our response often is like the people who've been coming to the temple who had not heard the truth yet. Listen to what Peter says to them, verses 9 through 11, 9 through 12. He says, we see the people, how they respond. It says, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment of what had happened to him. And while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran towards them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. Pause right here. When we see people's lives change, why do we not praise God? Like, our first response is, so-and-so? Like, I know, bro. I saw, I saw him. What do you mean he changed? They weren't surprised at what God was doing. They were surprised that it was this man who had been changed, which also signifies why God changed his situation, to wake them up, to get their attention, to show how great he is. But Peter responds to him and says, when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. He said, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us? as though we made him walk by our own power and godliness. I love this line because as much as I keep saying this passage isn't about the miracle, here's Peter downplaying the miracle. Saying, why are you looking at us? We ain't do this. We, we ain't do this, but y'all come to the temple every day. And he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors. He's glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he decided to release him. He's kind of pointing back to what happened. Jesus has already been performing all these miracles, showing that he truly was the Messiah. He was the, I, the great I am, and yet the people handed him over to Pilate. And then Pilate was like, I don't see nothing wrong. I... He ain't doing nothing, but yet the people still rejected God. And that's so surprising. That might sound surprising to us, but we do it so often. We do it so often. We reject God because we don't believe him for who he says he is. And Peter goes on to say, you denied the Holy One, the righteous, the Holy and Righteous One. And instead, ask to have a murderer released to you. And I love this accusation because this accusation kind of just pushes in. He said, you killed the source of life. Family, do you understand? We killed the source of life. In our rebellion towards God, when he sent the one who was restoring all things, we said no because we loved our sin that much. We 
loved our sins more than the one who gives life. And for the church, I feel oftentimes we still love our sins so much more than the one who said, I'll restore all things. I'll give you life. But Peter doesn't stop there. He said, whom God raised from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. Pointing again to this is something they saw firsthand. Even though we rejected the source of life, God intervened and raised him from the dead. And he goes on to say, by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him perfect health in front of all of you. He's literally saying, this man, God is showing off his restorative nature in front of you. And why is he showing it off? Well, because he wants you to know he's still a restorer. He is still a God who said, you can still come to me. And Peter even goes on to say, now, brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. But in this way, God fulfilled what was predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. I said it a few weeks ago, and I say it again. God had a plan. He knew that we would reject his Messiah. He knew he re- we would reject his, surf- his servant. But he did that for us. We killed the source of life, but God allowed it to happen so that we can find life. We who deserve the exact same death are even worse than what Jesus received. He did that so that we would not have to die. He did that so that we could be restored. And this is the greatest news ever because in our present brokenness, there's still hope. There's still hope and he's showing off his glory in this lame man and he's still trying to show off his glory today and say you in your broken state can find restoration. You can see the joy of what is to come. So Peter returned and goes on and he says, therefore, (coughs) a little signal, if you ever see in the Bible, it says, therefore, you have to ask the question, What is it there for? Right here he's saying, therefore, because he says, since this happened, what hope do you have? He tells them, repent and turn back. Repent is a a term of a directional term, literally saying, I was going one wrong way. And he's saying, stop that going that direction and choose to turn back and go the right way. And the reason we do this is so that your sins may be wiped away. Your sins may be wiped out. The ones who were wrong for killing the source of life can find life if they turn from their evil and wicked ways and go to the one who gives life. I'm going to do verses 20 to 26 and we'll be coming to a close. It says, so that... I mean, that season of refreshing may come from the presence of God. That he may send Jesus who has been appointed 
for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of restoration of all things, which God spoke through his holy prophets from the beginning. Now he points to the people. He said, you're going to the temple already to hear these things. So listen to the ones you're going to listen to. He talks about first Moses. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me among you, your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who doesn't listen to that prophet will, com- will be completely cut off from the people. So Peter points them back to the, the book of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 18, about the promise of the Redeemer coming as they prepare to go to the promised land. He said you were, they were preparing to go into a promised land, but now he's telling you there is a better promised land. There is a restored land. There is a restored state to make us perfect before a holy God. And then he goes into some other prophets that they would be very familiar with. He said, in addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold of these things. And he says, you are the sons of the prophets. And the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. After all this, he says, God has raised him up. He's raised up a servant. He has sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. What does this mean for us? He's pointing to the Israelites and he's still saying clearly to us, all of us who are in our broken state have hope for restoration. I love this quote from a a great Presbyterian brother, J.R. Miller. He says, Christ is building his kingdom with earth's broken things. Men want only the strong, the successful, the victorious, the unbroken in building their kingdoms. But God is the God of the unsuccessful, of those who have failed. Heaven is filling with earth's broken lives. And there is no bruised reed that God cannot take and restore to glorious blessedness and beauty. We can take the life crushed by pain or sorrow and make it into a harp whose music shall be all praise. He can lift earth's saddest failures up to heaven's greatest glory. Church, that is who we are. That is what he's doing. He right now is meeting us right here in this time in our hardest situations and our lowest times and our most broken state. And he's saying, glory is for you. Glory is for you. Restoration is for you. And my question for you is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Will you receive this like the lame man who came to the gate every day, not looking, knowing he would find hope that day? Or will we be like the Israelites who continuously come to the temple and not realize that it's for us? This hope is for us. This restoration is for us. Do you believe that? And in your broken state, that you've been promised restoration. So in closing, I like to give you what I call a sticky note. Remember, I say a sticky note is something to help you remember these things through the rest of the week and hopefully beyond. And our sticky note is we have a restore that gives hope in our brokenness. In this season, we have seen so much brokenness. We have felt so hopeless. 
But this lame man shows us an image of one who realizes where hope is truly found. When he leaps for joy because he knows he's been restored and that restoration has been promised for us. Are you joyful in the middle of your brokenness that you also will be restored? If you're not, today is the day that you can receive this promise. You can receive this hope that restoration is promised to all of us who repent and believe. Turn to the one who has given all life. If that's you today, we would love to talk to you. Tell you about this one who gives so much hope. And if you are already a believer, you already know of this redeemer and this restorer, I want to encourage you, despite all that you might go through, there's a great name. There's a great name that continues to give us hope. And just like When I was young and I wanted to restore this car, we can continue to look to that restoration that's coming, despite what we look like right now, despite what our circumstances look like right now, we can continue to look to that day when deserts would be drenched with water, where in dry places there would be oasis. That day where all tears will be wiped away and joy will be everlasting and we shall rejoice all day long in this great king. We can continue to look there if we trust in the one who has given us life. Will you pray with me? Father, there is no name greater than yours on earth. No name greater than your son, Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha and omega. All things have been made for him, by him, and through him for his glory. Father, we bask in that name. We rejoice in that name. Help us to see how great that name is. I pray for the ones right now who might only see their brokenness and not feel that restoration is coming. Father, wrap your hands around them. Help them to feel your presence, to know how great you are. Father, I I pray today that your word came clearly. That you spoke to your people today. That we walk from this place finding hope of how great you are. And that we see you clear and clear today. But that those who may be far from you, who may not know you just yet. I pray that you're revealing yourself in this time and in this moment for them. That every one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess of the greatness of your kingdom and the greatness of your name. So Lord, we lift all these things up to you. See your wonderful son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please?